going on, guys? It's Mike Norris. This is You Talk. Today, I am with Tyler Birch. What's going on, Tyler? Hey, how's it going, man? Good. Really well. It's, it's Friday. Uh, well, the day we're filming is Friday. I might go live a different day. Yeah. <laughs> but the Bears won yesterday against uh, Tom Brady, and I'm pretty pumped about that. So, big. how's that going for me? Yeah. But uh, you're the director of digital marketing at Board Active? Correct. Yeah. yeah. Nice. Why don't you tell me a little bit about your role, what you guys do, and, and your background? Yeah, so I've been there about a year and five months um, and had actually gotten introduced to their founder, to our founder, Doug Pittman, um, back when I was doing an agency internship uh, at the end of college. And so we stayed in touch and, and I ended up jumping on board. But um, a lot of what we're doing with our team right now looks like increasing the amount of content that we're creating. Um, and, and you and me have talked a little bit about this uh, before, but uh, I think that the best way that you can do marketing and sales is to, you know, give the buyer what they want. And so giving away value as early and often as possible um, in a way that essentially is going to brand you as, you know, authoritative and, and expert on the subjects that you guys are talking about. And for us, it looks like talking about user retention. That's a big way that we help the mobile apps that we work with. Um, and then one of the other content areas that I like to touch on is also user acquisition, which we have some indirect ties too, but um, it also allows me to show that, you know, I'm not here to, to dig into your wallet. I'll give you, you know, value that's not going to help me out at all. Um, and so that's been really valuable for us. And we're seeing um, a lot of growth in terms of traffic and in terms of like qualified leads and prospects and, and business like that. Excellent. Yeah. So what kind of content marketing do you guys do? So <clears throat> we focused on a few channels uh, and, and some are better than others and some have more weight than others. Um, one of the ones that we've recently focused on in light of the coronavirus, uh, you know, shift in the market is we've been putting out these playbooks that are vertical specific. And so a couple that we've made that were really successful were we had one on uh, basically athletic programs at, at the collegiate level. Um, a lot of those programs have mobile apps that are really underutilized. And now in light of COVID, when fans can't go to games or only 20% of fans can, you really need to find a way to engage those people in ways that you didn't think you'd have to before this. Because originally it was like, well, we'll get them on campus and they'll come to the games and they'll tailgate. And that's not really happening in the numbers that they used to. So how do you keep these fans excited, cheering on the team and, you know, funneling and revenue like every program needs. And so that was one of the playbooks that we created on how those programs can use their mobile apps in new ways and different ways um, with and without the technology that we provide so that they can, you know, navigate through COVID. We've also done a couple more playbooks on municipalities, so like city governments. And then there's one more that's escaping my mind, but, um, that's, that's one element of content that we've been doing as well as, you know, your classic blog um, that, that drives traffic and that talks more about what you guys do. Um, and then additionally, we have um, an in-house podcast where we are looking to target, you know, people that we want to do business with to come on the show as well as industry leaders that can provide some really valuable opinions. So it's a combination of the narrative of some mobile apps that, that are out there and, and then some industry leaders and, and what they kind of see trending in the actual industry. That's awesome. That's, that's a lot of stuff, man. You guys have a big team. 
We don't, we don't. Um, <laughs> but uh, we have a great, we have a great, uh, great group with us and, and some leadership that's been really helpful that uh, our marketing team is, is fairly young. And so to have a leader with the experience that he has um, has been super valuable um, for allowing us to kind of scale our efforts um, efficiently. Sure. Yeah. So you're, uh, you're creating all this, all this content and I, I mean, it sounds awesome. How do you go about getting eyes on it? Yeah, so there's definitely, it's twofold. There's content creation. Are you creating good and valuable content? And then there's distribution. How are you actually pushing that out? And so um, admittedly, our budget, um, in, in the sense that we're a startup, we were a little bit late to the industry. We were not a first mover. Um, our marketing budget is you know, a drop in the pan to some of the, some of the guys that we're competing with, but thankfully we're targeting different groups. And so it allows us to, to hit different avenues. Our target market is more so smaller apps, think like less than 50,000 downloads. And so a lot of those apps actually aren't even being uh, serviced by our competitors, like they're being turned away. And, and uh, our, our leader on the marketing team was actually with a company that, you know, spoke to them and they were like, look, we really only work with apps that have a dedicated team of developers that's this big and it takes about two months to install the product and blah, blah, blah. And so that can work great for some larger enterprises, um, but it doesn't work so well for the small teams that, that, you know, wear a lot of hats. And so we've been able to use a lot of organic. Um, and one of the areas that we've hit heavy um, and that you and me talked about right before we started the interview was LinkedIn. Um, LinkedIn is, <laughs> is huge. And uh, that's one of the reasons I'm so active there is, is just because if you can demonstrate and like with our content strategy, if you can apply that personally of I'm going to try and give value at any and every opportunity. I take calls with people that don't even have mobile apps simply because you never know who knows somebody with a mobile app. You never know where somebody's going to go. I was in ministry two years ago and, uh, you know, there's probably p plenty of people that would have been like, ah, this guy's not in my field. Not a lot of you know, reason to connect with them. But it turns out now I'm in the B2B SaaS field industry. I'm the director of digital marketing and I'm a decision maker that some businesses are going to want to target. And if they weren't, you know, if they weren't able to target me all the way back then, it might be a little bit harder to now because I know that their intention is a little bit more salesy than relational. So we've been seeing a lot of growth from LinkedIn, um, getting our team building personal brands that funnel into the larger brand. And then additionally, some of the classical, you know, B2B SaaS plays of Google ads and um, doing some direct outreach as well. And then because we're targeting smaller apps, we've also managed to have a good amount of success identifying some different sources where we're able to find new apps that are startups, that are bootstraps, that might be, you know, have some investment backing, but that are early and in their early stages. And so we're catching them with the expectation that, some of these are going to flame out, but some of these are actually going to perform really well um, and, and we'll be there from the get go. And so we'll have had that relationship from day one, um, you know, putting time into a company that is, you know, not the biggest ship in the field. So, yeah, I well, you, the personal branding stuff is working because that's how I found it. <laughs> <Get it. laughs> if, if you guys are watching this, uh, you know, I, I found Tyler, I think. I don't even know how it initially started, but I was about to say at this point, I'm always like, I like my guess is that I found one of your posts and commented on it at 
probably a few times like taken away from you because originally when I got on LinkedIn, I was still figuring out content for a while. I wasn't even really posting. I was just like, okay, let's dip the toes in the water. I just want to comment on people's stuff that, that I feel like is intriguing and valuable and just add my own perspective and or maybe ask some questions. And so whenever I don't remember how I met somebody, that's typically where I'm like, ah, that was probably it. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I see you comment on other people's stuff too. And I do think that's a really good strategy because a lot of people yep. just post their own stuff, but you gotta, you gotta interact with other people. And it is social media, you know, it's, yeah. not, it's not like I talk to you media. Yep. And, and here's the thing. It does a couple things. One, a lot of people don't realize this, but your comments are going to have a lot greater reach than your post ever would. Even right now, I think I've grown almost six times as big as I was, or it, like my network has grown six times as big as it was since March. Wow. And I'm willing to bet right now my comments still catch more reach than my posts do. Um, and I think that's going to be the majority. That's going to, wait, what was that? That's crazy growth, man. Yeah. Um, you know, it's, I spent a lot of time and talked to a lot of people to learn a lot of things. And, and fortunately I had a lot of people help me out too, in some different ways. Um, and so, yeah, I think for one, it's going to increase the reach, which is a goal that a lot of people have on LinkedIn when they post content, but two, by commenting, it's actually allowed me to increase the amount of content I'm able to create without like, you know, taking time to really think through it because people are best when they're given a prompt to write on and you're given that every time you roll through, through somebody's feed. And so I'll literally sometimes comment something where I like somebody's post and I'll add perspective or I'll even just ask a question and get their response. And then I'll basically copy and paste what I wrote and put, put that on what I call a mess sheet where I just have a bunch of half-baked ideas and that allows me to create a significant, you know, start on the amount of content that I want to build. Um, and so for people that are posting and not commenting, you'll find that you can create a lot more content, a lot better content if you spend time engaging other people's posts. That's an A plus tip. Yeah, I'm, man. I'm going to use a little bit more of that strategy in my day to do it. Do it. Once I started doing it, it, it made things 10 times easier, man. Yeah, but I, I have a list like that too, where I, you know, I just scratch like little ideas yeah. here and there. And I do some, I, I comment some on people's posts, but definitely not as much as you. I mean, I haven't grown my network six times since March. <laughs> but. Well, well, it's also about the amount of time you can put on the platform. Fortunately, with some of the objectives that we have and some of the ways that we're able to do marketing best, mm -hmm. it allows me to spend more time on LinkedIn than other people would have to spend. So I'm in a fortunate situation, but it's worked well for us. So That's cool. And I, I like that your company promotes personal brands like that too, because yep. it's not only does it benefit you, like you want to do it, I'm sure, because it benefits you, but it also benefits the company at the same time. And having that additional positivity and motivation going into it. I mean, I love that. And yep. I always encourage people to do side projects, you know, like, yep. I, I love that kind of stuff. And, yeah. and, and people get passionate about it. They learn so many things from it too. So many things that they wouldn't learn just doing their day-to-day -day job, you know, yep. they interact more. They, they, they're somewhat forcing themselves to create content and put their ideas on paper rather than just have them abstractly living in their head. It's great. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, I think I had a post actually yesterday kind of on this topic of like the best way to grow personally and the best like employee to have is somebody who can take ownership of an idea and of like a project. And so when you take ownership of building your personal brand and doing it in a way that also fosters the company's brand in a positive way, 
um, taking that level of ownership just teaches you so much more than you would from simply creating content. Cause we've been creating blogs. We've been creating playbooks. We've been creating podcasts, but I can confidently say having like tried to build my own personal brand and do it in a way that, you know, funnels into the larger brand of the company. It's just taught me so much about distribution, about what type of content people want, um, yeah. about the formatting of how do you create something that's compelling. And so it's been super valuable um, for both myself and my company, I think. I like that you touched on learning what people want because that's, that's the beauty of social media, I think, is you know, it's gotten more congested and organic reach is hard to come by. Luckily, LinkedIn's still one of those platforms that you can, you know, you for can- now. For now. <laughs> it, won't, it won't be like that. Yeah. But I, I do like that, that instant feedback that you kind of get, you know, like, well, this post got 50 likes, this one got 10, so that one's not so good. And you just yep. toss it out, you know, you make more yeah. like, that works and you learn. Yeah, and Dave Gerhardt has a great point on this where he talks about, uh, he uses Twitter specifically as a social media platform where he just tests ideas because the nature of a tweet is it disappears off the feed pretty quickly, not literally, but yeah. um, it's out of sight pretty fast. And so a lot of people are able to tweet, you know, five times in a day and nobody would bat an eye. Whereas if you post it on LinkedIn five times in a day, people are like, dude, calm down. Um, <laughs> yeah. especially. And so um, Twitter is a platform where you can put out a lot more and it matters a lot less because of that. And so you can kind of test a lot of a lot more ideas and get a lot more, you know, risk aggressive um, in a way that allows you to see like, okay, this really caught traction. Let's test it out a little bit more. And then it's like, okay, we can definitely bring this over to some of our main platforms and primary forms of content. So shout out to DG on that. Dude, I love Dave Gerhardt. I'm, I, uh, I didn't know if you knew who, who he was. Actually, we probably interacted on his post too, I would imagine. Yeah. Are, you, oh, yeah. are you in his marketing group? Uh, I have been, and then <laughs> my, I switched uh, cards, and so it like declined the group, and I just need to join again and have it, but um, I, his group is great, um, really valuable, and, and he puts a lot of good stuff in there, and you really just get to kind of learn how he thinks, which, um, you know, is really, really helpful as somebody as early in our careers as we are. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I'm impressed by how much content he puts out. Yeah. I, I, I don't know how he does it. I mean, I know he like talks about how he does it, but I really, yeah. I don't know, man. Like I actually emailed him one day. I, I, I found his email and I, I emailed him and I was just like, how do you, that was literally like my subject line was how do you put out this much content? And he replied to me and he's just like, I just love it. Like, I just love doing it. Like, yeah. He talks about that a lot. He's like, I just love marketing. I, I enjoy it. This is like a, like a hobby of mine. Whereas like some people, they get done with work and they want to be done with what they do. And he's like, I just love marketing. Yeah. Um, I also think part of his approach that I really like is he takes this low budget approach where like his marketing group is like, you know, like he'll, he might take like five minutes and like be talking on his phone while he's like watching his kid in the backyard or something. Yeah. Um, yeah. Like when inspiration hits, he just like creates. And so if the content's good, like you can accept a lower production value. Um, another guy who uh, I saw that spearheaded this early is Chris Walker, another, you know, B2B marketing legend. And he was literally like, yeah, I just record the calls that I have with people like I take these calls from random people that I also might be able to do business with and then just like cut that up into snippets of content. And, and like his wow. team 
is super small and puts out across like the, you know, five of them or however many it is an insane amount of content, man. It's insane. I, I actually don't know him. I'll have to check him out. Dude, you, you need to check him out. He also gives some really spicy takes that I enjoy. He's not afraid to ruffle some feathers because yeah. of uh, what he thinks, which I like. Uh, you don't I'll see that all the time. Yeah, I'm always looking for good sources, man, because there's, there's so much content out there. Yep. So much of it is like five ways to do this and five yeah. ways to do that. And it's like, oh, my God, dude, I'm, I'm so sick of that. And I know it's, it's kind of become commonplace now. Like, that's the content. <laughs> Dude, yeah. It, it sucks. I mean, it's, it's yeah. hard to – how are you going to separate yourself from the crowd when you're just doing what everybody else does? Exactly. And, and, you know, there's a line between a best practice is there's some best practices that you just need to do. Like that's essential, you know, a B2B SaaS product should have a beta. That's pretty mm -hmm. much essential, but there also are best practices where it's like, how can we steer away from this in a way that helps us to, you know, move where people aren't. Um, so I think you kind of, nailed that on the head dude i like yeah. that yeah i actually uh i talked to you know Rand fishkin uh I'm, i know the name um but i don't know too much about him actually he he founded uh so we we're like an seo company on top of you know we do like all kinds of digital marketing but uh he co-founded moz back in the day if you're familiar uh, right yeah 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 and uh he he's since moved on but i was talking to him about it and his his approach he actually made fun of Gary Vee, which I thought was pretty funny. But uh, he was like, you know, I don't think that you need to be everywhere and do everything. He's like, pick like one or two channels that you can focus in on that you, you think, you know, you can really do a good job at. And maybe your competitors are not on those channels or they're not doing a good job on those channels. And then, you know, stick to those. And he's like, don't try to be everywhere because you're just going to like fall flat on your face. And he also yeah. said, and I like this too pick of those one or two channels, pick things that you actually enjoy or that you believe in and think can work. Because if you pick something like, let's say you pick SEO, but you don't believe in SEO, you think it's like smoke and mirrors. The second that you're not getting results, you're gonna just, you're gonna just you know, pull it and you're not gonna do it. And I really like that. I mean, that stuck with me. I, I love the one, two channel approach, nail it, you know, yeah. that, and then maybe move into something else. Well, also you have to start, like you have to have an area of strength from the get go. Like you can't, you know, build without the foundation. And so like, if you can't do a few things really well, you can't expand. The reason Gary Vee is allowed to expand like he is, is because he, you know, built something out of, you know, some of his early steps that he took. Yeah. And then from there, he can do the weird things like create comics for his content. Yeah. And I'm like, I don't know how I feel about this, but like, <laughs> He's allowed to fail and fail fast because he's got a big group because he built, you know, the bulk of what he did off of probably a couple channels, which yeah. isn't great for a motivational speaker to give the whole approach. It's best to give the motivational top of the summit view. So like, I get it. Yeah. Yeah. Well, he's grown to the point now too, where he can kind of do anything. And it's like, exactly. Yeah. Well, talk to me about that, the app stuff though. So I, you know, you, you, you touched on it a little bit and as far as like what you guys do, but how, how, let's say I came to you with an app and I've got like 20,000 users and I'm looking to maybe monetize it better or something like that. You know, what, what's your approach? So our approach is, um, and, and, you know, really common with anybody that does something like churn, uh, or, you know, user retention related is pointing out that you can, the majority of people are realistically going to spend the majority of their budget on 
acquisition. And that goes outside of mobile apps, but it also includes mobile apps. People are always looking to pour more in, pour more in, build more leads, create more pipeline. And that's great. And that's an important part of growing a business. But what a lot of people will neglect really severely is that element of retention. And so you can pour in 10,000 new users, but if they're churning at a 25% rate in order to truly get to that 10 K, you're really going to have to go above and beyond that, which is going to cost more budget where if you had spent a portion of that user acquisition money towards something like retention, you're going to cut that retention down to maybe 10%. And obviously, you know, over the long haul that has a significant effect on user acquisition. But additionally, I think a lot of times when you see that retention number fall, it's pretty correlated to the fact that you've created an experience that people enjoy and an experience that doesn't piss people off basically. Cause retention, I kind of feel a lot of times is people are annoyed. What happens when somebody unsubscribes from your emails, they probably got annoyed. Yeah. They didn't want to, yeah. it wasn't relevant or like you sent too many too fast. And so that's a huge element of what we do for apps is, is, and working with push notifications is what we do. Um, Geofence push notifications. So think kind of like a Snapchat filter where you show up to a restaurant and that Snapchat filter appears. We do that, but with a push notification. So you go to a certain area and maybe it's in that app's restaurant, or maybe it's, you know, within a five minute radius of this you know, lunch place and it goes beyond lunch, but I'm hungry right now at 12. So this is where we're going with it. Um, and they send something to, you know, the business plazas within five minutes saying, Hey, like we're doing a catering deal just within this radius. Um, so talk to your office members and blah, blah, blah. And they are able to give really specific targeted offers that help and improve the experience of their users. So that's kind of the approach that, that we take and that I think has, the greatest effect on a mobile app's acquisition, growth, monetization, because obviously the more users you get, as long as you have a revenue strategy in place, like it's going to scale. And so yeah. that's kind of the approach that I take. I like that. I like that a lot. I, what, what kind of KPIs do you guys look at? Obviously, so, overall retention. But. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, definitely <laughs> retention. Um, we look at a few KPIs. We look at, and it depends on the vertical too. So something like a mobile game, a big KPI would look like um, the amount uh, that's being spent per user because that can change depending on, you know, how you're optimizing your store, things like that. Are you, um, you know, toying around with the way that you offer a lot of, a lot of mobile app or mobile games will offer, you know, like, hey, watch this 30 second ad and we'll give you X amount of in-store currency. Um, and so seeing those numbers and then being like, okay, how can we toy around with the way that we're using push notifications and the, what we're offering within push notifications to increase the amount that's being spent per user? Because generally, if they're willing to spend more money per user, it means you've got, you know, a model that can really scale um, because you're starting to figure out how to create more money without even changing the amount of, you know, users that are being retained. So it goes kind of two ways. Yeah. Okay. So you're kind of focusing on like lifetime value rather than, yeah. yeah. Oh, I like that a lot. There's obviously some verticals where they might not spend in the app, like a collegiate football program. Um, but they are going to want to increase the lifetime value of the way that they're spending on 
you know, tickets and game or watching the game on TV because TV money comes in too based on those numbers. And um, yeah, there's a lot of different ways that and a lot of different angles that different verticals take it. But that's, uh, in my opinion, the second most important outside of our first, you know, we do retention, we excel at that. And then secondly, you got to immediately come back to the money because you can be great at what you do. But if you can't help them make money, it's not something that they can keep putting their money into. So, so do you guys kind of like fine tune it, you know, where uh, maybe you're like, okay, let's, let's turn this dial up. I'm using these terms because I just watched the social dilemma. I don't know if you've seen it. I haven't yet. I've been told I should. I, so they talked about Zuckerberg having these dials essentially where he can like dial it up, like increase monetization a little bit. And I, I know that's not literally how it works but not, not, not that simple but that is the concept okay cool cool um as far as us there are yeah definitely and one of the things that we're also able to do as a company that works with these smaller mobile apps is we actually work with a lot of these apps on providing some consulting we've kind of baked it into the cost of our of our software and so we don't create push notifications for people but we do consult with them that and, and a lot of these smaller groups, a lot of times aren't marketers. And so they don't understand the concept of how do we communicate a good message to the right people when they want it. And so we'll, we'll consult with groups on that so that we can help them to kind of turn the dials as they please too. And so there's a lot of ways we have, you know, different AB testing features and, and, uh, you know, we have a, you know, the classic dashboard and analytics that allow you to kind of see like what's happening as a result of this campaign or this tweak that we've made and then continuing to tweak and fine tune. I think that a lot of people in marketing miss the concept of speed and being able to do quality work at, you know, high speeds and, and, you know, part of quality work, I think looks like testing and failing so yeah. that you can end on what works. And it's not just like, you know, close your eyes and pick, but it is um, making educated guesses and assumptions and risks and then reevaluating after you get the results. So we, we do try to help our, our clients do that. And we of course do that ourselves. Sometimes fast is better than good, man. I, uh, I always Sometimes. ask people in interviews, I'll, I'll, I always ask this question. I think I got it from like, I Googled interview questions like five years ago and this yeah. one stuck out to me, man. I just, I keep yeah. it. It's, it's been a staple. I ask people, would you rather be perfect and late or good and on time? Yeah. And the answers that you get are really interesting. And I mean, really what you're just looking to kind of find out more about, you know, the person and how they think about those types of things. But I prefer the good and on time answers, I think, because yeah. I mean, if you're late, it doesn't matter. And how do you, how do you know something's perfect too? Yeah. It's <laughs> very difficult to, like ascertain prior to it going live you really don't know so sometimes you yeah. it's like and i think we're seeing a big shift in, in b2b marketing in that sense of it used to be you go to a couple trade shows a year and you maybe do some webinars and then you do some other small ads google ads and that kind of thing and if you you know think your trade show booth is just killer and your pitch is great and then you just botch one of your three trade shows of the year. Well, there went like a third of that trade show budget and you just like missed the boat. Whereas if you had just used some smaller types of events where maybe it's, you know, um, I, I look at a company like gravy 
um, under Casey Graham that's uh, starting to produce a lot more content at scale um, on the personal brand level and on the, the company level. And I think they do, what's it called? The um, Ask Me Anything, the AMAs, where um, they kind of like, they had one where they went head to head where it was like Chris Walker and Casey Graham and Casey Graham versus uh, another guy that's, you know, pretty relevant in, in what they're doing. And so having more events like that, it's like, okay, maybe, maybe they bomb one but I'm willing to bet they get it figured out and get it tuned up a lot faster than you might not even have that second trade show. Right. If right. you bomb the first one bad enough and you're like, well, now we really don't know where we stand and what we're doing. So speed is, is critical, man. I agree. I agree. Well, so I want to go back to something that you had mentioned um, or kind of like sprinkled throughout. You, you mentioned three different ways that I think you guys set yourself apart. You work with smaller apps you're creating these playbooks and great content and all that kind of stuff. And then um, the third thing was, oh shit, you just said it. Damn, what was it? There was a third thing. Uh, it's, I, I guess my, my ultimate question that I wanted to ask you was how do you, it's so important that companies set themselves apart from their competitors, right? Like so that you're not all the same. Are, are those the things that you think set you apart or is there something else that's larger? Um, you know, we, we'd love to think that we have a million things that set us apart. Every company does. Um, I think the things that we do do best is that we know that these massive McDonald's level enterprises are somebody that would be better off with our competitors offering, um, because what they need is, is more than what we can do for them. We can't serve McDonald's. So sorry about that, Ronald. Um, <laughs> we are able to offer small to medium apps really well because we bake in the cost of consulting on campaigns that other companies that are doing software are just simply not going to do. They're going to sell you the software and they're going to do that and they're going to continue to do that. Um, and, and that works for the market that they're targeting, probably, um, I would assume. But when you're targeting these smaller groups, that's something that, that we focus on. So I think we do a really great job of fixing our offer to something that works for the group that we're targeting. Um, and we even changed our pricing model, um, kind of at the beginning of Corona, we realized like, okay, we were on a per message basis. So per notification basis is, is how we were charging. And then we looked at it and we were like, this just really does not incentivize these small apps that are trying to scale aggressively. And if we have the, you know, the mindset that put out content quick, fast, iterate, tweak, pivot, mm -hmm. um, we want to offer something that allows them to do that. And so we made the switch to just the total amount of users. And we started seeing a lot more uh, qualified leads and a lot more people that were not opposed to price because they understood like, I can, uh, I can achieve the objectives that I want to within a reasonable price. And so I think some of it is, is we've positioned ourselves well in that way. Um, some of the other things that I think differentiate us are that um, we just recognize groups that are being underserved. And I think we've done a good job of part of the hard part of that is everybody hears about McDonald's. They have brand, they have brand equity that goes a long way. And some of these smaller groups do not. Um, and a lot of times they're not started by marketers. And so they're terrible at getting their name out there. And so I think we've done a pretty good job of identifying ways that we can find these apps and, um, create outreach that's effective for starting those conversations and, and hearing their needs. So I think that's two of the best ways that we've done it. Yeah. And that, 
that actually kind of relates to the third thing that I was going to say, which was consulting, by the way. You had mentioned yeah. that. <laughs> it's me, but that's good, man. That's good. Um, I, had, I had one more question for you. Damn, what's going on with my memory today? Uh, oh, I, I like what you said about how you've kind of centered in on your target market because we get client, the potential clients sometimes they'll, they'll come in the door and we'll ask them like, okay, well, you know, who's your target market? Who are you going after? And they're like, well, everybody. I'm like, oh, this is going to be a lot of work. <laughs> uh, but it, you know, it's funny. Like everyone thinks like they don't, they don't want to sell themselves short. Right. They don't want to like hone in on one very specific audience and think, well, uh, maybe I'll only get like 1% of that audience. Whereas like if I get 1% of the whole pie of the earth, that's huge. And that's a huge audience. And I think that's like the mental block that people have to go through is it's better to have a very specific person, the type of person that you're going after or someone with business with a specific need, whatever it is, than trying to please every single person because there's no way you're going to do it. And getting specific is always better. Yep. The riches are in the niches, man. I've had like three conversations like that uh, in the past today and yesterday where it's like, you, you can target everybody if you want to. And I've been binging a lot of Shark Tank lately since oh, I've been, back, uh, you know, in the apartment working. And so one thing that all the sharks always roast people on is somebody will come up and be like, this is a $20 million industry. If we can get 1% of that, that's huge. Um, and then they immediately say like, yeah, we know it's a big industry and that's what everybody says if we can get 1%, but what do you know? There's a lot of companies that take 30% of the market and you're left with not 1%. And so, um, yeah, dude, I think you, you kind of nailed that on the head of, of having to target, you know, companies that you can actually add value to as well as, you know, specific areas where you can create a message that's really consistent. I actually got off a call earlier this morning with an, an SEO group that's super awesome and that I'm actually really um, interested in trying to do business with. And there's a lot of variables that go into that decision. But I told them right up front, I was like, okay, um, do you serve clients outside of the B2B SaaS world as well? Because that was the group that they targeted. And he's like, I mean, we have worked with other companies that, that don't do B2B SaaS and we've done well with them. But when creating a message, you want to create a message that you can multiply at speed consistently to a group that, you know, you're able to provide value to and that's likely to sign with you. And so um, targeting your audience will take you a long way, man. Product market fit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I like I like that that too because B two B SaaS is so it, it's a it's a segmented group of people, but they're all different. It's not like they're necessarily competitors either. Yeah. So it's not like they have to worry about like oh I'm serving this guy, but then there's overlap here, and you know I'm I'm running ads for him and I'm running ads for him, and they're in the same market and they serve the same market. Yeah. Like, that kind of that kind of sucks when you know people run into situations like that. Yep. And it, it gets a little tricky there. And so maybe that's just, you know, my luck of being in the industry and the vertical that I'm in. But uh, yeah, that, is, that actually is a good point. I haven't thought about it like that, that sometimes people are going to have to kind of be like, well, there's only, you know, we can only out of this market grab realistically five accounts before we start stepping on each other's toes. So that's a really we, good point. We have to deal with that. I mean, because we don't want to I mean, we don't want to get in a situation where it's like, whose ad do we serve? You know, this guy or this guy, who do we like more? You know, I, 
that's never something that we want to deal with. So that's a very real issue for us. So how do you guys deal? How do you guys deal with that? Um, as far as like making sure you're continuing to target, you know, untouched markets by you guys where it's like, well, we don't have to worry. There's no current client in this area. How do you like identify all those pockets? It's a, that's a great question. I mean, we've, we've got a, a sales team here and they, right. they know essentially, you know, what, services we offer to who i mean we do we're not at the point where you know we've got that many clients that it's like an, an incredible amount that there's no way to know you know we need like I, an excel spreadsheet to pull all the data and yeah, be like okay we got a, this many target markets x'd out <laughs> right right yeah it's it's not that bad i mean we do have two like certain bigger clients of ours it's like they serve the entire east coast and for wow. like whatever for their industry and it's like well then i'm not gonna uh, you just know, you know, I mean, you yeah. just, know. It's like, that's one of our biggest accounts. I'm definitely not going over there, but otherwise, I mean, we serve the entire United States. So it's, you know, if we're doing something like service work in an area and it's like plumbing or something, you generally don't have to worry about that because it's, it's a lot more geographical. It's a lot more fragmented in a way that's not like going to piss somebody off. That's helpful. Exactly. Yeah, exactly. exactly. And then, you know, we'll also help e-com, but then it's the same thing like what we were just talking about. I mean, e-com is so different i mean it's not like it's not like we serve amazon and they sell everything you know we sell people who sell like niche items in a particular yeah, yeah. yep definitely yeah but anyway i think this was a great conversation i know i've taken a lot of your time so we can we can wrap up here but if people want to get in contact with you or anything like that how, how can they do so yeah so um i'll give them two options one would be um you can reach out to me on linkedin as we talked about i'm pretty active on there i try and respond fast i know there's some uh responses in my inbox that i need to go make right now so hopefully they're made by the time this this airs but um other than that you can contact me at tyler at boardactive.com um and and i'll be able to you know catch you through there but linkedin is probably going to be the one that's fastest for me because i'm on there for a fair amount of the time more than i am email so that would be the number one all right awesome well thank you so much tyler this was an excellent conversation man i i really enjoyed this and there was some good stuff i got out of it and i'm gonna check out uh those names you mentioned I, i'll play this back and i'll check them out chris chris walker chris walker, chris chris walker. walker. all right i'm gonna check him out for sure yeah. man thanks for having me on i appreciate it it was fun to talk and, and to get to hear about uh you know your take on some things and and uh i appreciate it yeah that's how i learned man i, I have people on here and it's great. So yeah, thanks. 100%. Awesome. Bye guys.